Hello, welcome to Pod Songs. I'm Jack Stafford, and I interview inspiring people in service to others as inspiration for a new song. Today, I'm speaking with the head of the Surf Rider Foundation, a grassroots environmental organization dedicated to protecting oceans and beaches. Its major work is carried out by 60 local chapters around America that include more than 40,000 members, as well as affiliates in Europe, Brazil, Australia, and Japan. Its membership is made up of surfers, swimmers, divers, bodyboarders, kayakers, and beach enthusiasts who have learned to be effective advocates for the ocean environment they value. Let's save the oceans from us with Chad Nelson. Great, mate. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Oh yeah, happy to do it. Looking great with the surfboard in the background there. That 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 surfboard actually, that we we could talk about it a little bit. It's got a good story. All those signatures on that board are uh, are small businesses that support sort of Surfrider Foundation, and we're opposed to offshore drilling. We were doing a big campaign to stop drilling off the coast of the United States. One of your many campaigns. How do you keep track of them all? You need another surfboard with the, all the campaigns. <laughs> yeah, we use the internet for that. <laughs> I, was, In bases, I, was check, I was checking it out. First of all, I want to say great job. Thanks for everything you're doing on behalf of everyone. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm interviewing with this podcast. I'm trying to speak to people in service to others and and support them with a song so you can use this song on your website or in a video or to raise yeah. awareness yeah i love the concept it's oh, great thank you thank you very much yeah. and so i was i was hoping to see huge rollers behind you but that would be that would be even cooler now how far away know, from you you know it's funny because there's actually i so i'm i'm in laguna i'm in san clemente now i i say laguna beach that's where i live southern california and uh, there's actually great surf right now. So there is great waves out there, but you know, it, I didn't think that would necessarily be, it'd be, it'd be too distracting for this podcast. <laughs> I should be sitting down at the beach, but. Yeah, that would be great. Cause you, you yeah. grew up in Laguna Beach, huh? I did, I, I grew up in Laguna Beach, which was, you know, I didn't make that decision, my parents did, but it was a, which I'm very grateful for. It was a very sort of privileged life in and amongst the ocean, which at the time I didn't realize how lucky I was because that's just what it was as a kid. And now with a little perspective, I realize sort of how fortunate that was. Yeah, it's one of those iconic spots like Byron Bay or... Yeah. They actually make an, made a TV series, did they, about Laguna? Yes, they did. It was about the high school, which I live very close to. It was like a reality show, the real Laguna Beach, which... <laughs> I'm not sure what, how real it was, but yeah, it, it was interesting because the, the popularity of the town really soared after that, you know, for better or worse, but. Depending know. on your perspective. Yeah. 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 That must've been, cause I, I, I live in the South of Italy now. I'm English. I grew up in, in England, but here I've got five minutes from the beach, but it's the Mediterranean. There's no waves. Very calm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very calm. So. I was just trying to imagine in, in my mind, like how it would change my life if, if I, if there was this surfing culture here, if you did get up and everyone got up in the morning early and, you know, paddled out and what a way to start the day. I just, I've just been imagining, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it, it is, it's, you know, it's interesting. Surfers actually are in the ocean more than any other user group sort of on a annual basis. So, you know, you have more people go to the beach, but they don't all go in the water. You know, even scuba divers are very avid, but you know, surfers are like for, I, I probably surf a hundred days a year, maybe more, um, you know, so they're in the water and then, you know, fish, there's a lot of people fish, but they're on top. Uh, so there's, there's very few divers who dive a hundred days a year. And so really surfers are out there. They're in the water. You're, you're literally in it, right? You're ducking under it. You're getting tossed around in it. It's going up your nose and into your mouth. And, but you know, that immersive sort of intimate experience with the ocean is pretty awesome. So do you go out early in the morning to get the waves? 
So, you know, you can, you can surf at any time, most places, but not true everywhere. The conditions are better in the mornings and uh, that's has to do with physics. The ocean temperature is pretty stable. The land heats up during the day and cools off in the evening. So in the mornings, the land is cool. The water is warm relative and that sucks the wind offshore, which makes the wind blow towards the ocean, which is holds up the waves and make the wa- makes the waves better. And then as the day goes on, the land heats up and it sucks the air off the water towards the land. And that's called an onshore wind, which is not as desirable for surfing. So uh, that's why, that well, not to get to, yeah, that's why the, uh, in most places it's better in the mornings, not true everywhere. Plus you can get up like runners or others and get it done, you know, get it in the water before you have to go to work. So what uh, time, what time do you get in the morning in, in the sea? What time is it? Usually I am waiting for the sunrise. So right now where I live, it's, you can be surfing at 530, even a little earlier than that. In the winter time, it's later, you know, 630. So you wait for that. You, you know, usually they call it the dawn patrol. The goal is to get there at first light. Mm. And then at what time do you finish? You know, and it, it depends if I have to go to work could be an hour if i if i have to somewhere to be if i have more time i could surf for a couple hours sometimes okay. i wear out it, it depends on the you know the conditions because the other thing the other factor is the tide mm-hmm. um, so depending on the surf spot you're at the some are more sensitive to tide and others so some places like a low tide so you're trying to time the days of the week with the swell with the tide and other places need a middle tide or a higher tide and because there's rocks or reef for other things. Mm. And so there's, you're, you're kind of looking at the surf conditions, the wind and the tide are kind of the three big mm. factors. Okay. Well, it's not going to be a surf lesson. I'm just, just to fuel my imagination because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was never really into it before. It has the kind of culture of, it's, you know, that, that California culture and the surfing. It's not, it's not something I've been into before, but then on a meditation course, I did this 10 day retreat and then the guy afterwards we kind of talk about your experiences and, and and i think two of the guys there were surfers and they just had this amazing meditation experiences because they could let go and they kind of explained that they were just used to doing it for on the waves you just kind of lean forward into yeah the abyss and that really affected their their mental state and ability to to let go is that something you've also experienced though yeah, you know, I think there's two things. There's a there's a guy named Walls J. Nichols, a friend of mine who wrote a book called Blue Mind. And that book, they actually kind of paired ocean conservation, ocean recreation surfers and stuff with a, a bunch of sort of neurologists and and looked at sort of calming of the water broadly. So just sitting in front of the ocean, you know, surfing or no surfing has a like measurable calming effect. That's why I think we all seek the ocean, right? That's why the... Mm an ocean view is what you want at your resort or your house or anything else. But so there's that benefit of it. And then with surfing, I think like a lot of other adrenaline sports, rock climbing or flying down a hill on your mountain bike, it puts you in the moment, right? You're like trying to navigate this wave and there's a lot of things happening around you and you're not you're, you're sort of doing a dance with the wave, right? You take off and the wave's going to do things and you need to be in sync with it but it requires like total presence. So in that moment, you're, you know, and you're not thinking about your to-do list or that thing you forgot, you know, that forgot to call your friend for their birthday, you're in the moment, right? And I think like so many other sports, that's part of the, the attractiveness is, is it, it clears your head of, you know, all mm. the other things going on around you. Yeah, well, these are the kind of things I guess talking about is nothing like actually doing. So we should probably move on to it because you've taken your awareness. Right, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've taken yeah. this awareness of nature and you're putting you're pouring your life uh into surf rider so yeah so what is what is surf rider so the surf rider foundation is a grassroots coastal ocean and uh, let me say that again uh, <laughs> i should be able to rattle off our mission statement you yeah think, huh? that's the that's <laughs> the basics chad come on we, you know the, the mission statement i'll start there is uh, you know we're an organization dedicated to the protection and enjoyment of the world's ocean waves and beaches through a powerful activist network so what that really means is we're this sort of us-based but really global grassroots coastal and ocean conservation organization and the idea is 
there are people in coastal communities around the world who love the ocean, commune with the ocean, get so much from the ocean that they're going to be motivated to to give back and steward the place that they love. And so it's not just for surfers, it can be for anyone can join. Yeah, you know, sort of founded by surfers in 1984, you know, and really actually interestingly enough, Surfrider is the name of a beach. So it was really about protecting a place more than it was the verb of like riding waves. But you know, it's close ties to surfing since the beginning. It was kind of one of, it was surfing's first conservation group. So it has a tie to surfing, but absolutely like for anyone who loves the ocean, loves the coast, we've got, we've got people who surf and we've got people who live in coastal communities. We've got moms of kids who surf and people mm. like to walk their dog on the beach in the morning. You know, anyone who cares about the ocean, which I think is everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me if I had the, the chairman of the campaign for nuclear disarmament in England come on the show. And mm -hmm. I was saying every, you know, if you live in France, you live in Germany, you should still join CND because if, if the bombs go off there, you know, so, and it's the yeah. same with, it's the same with all the, the work you're doing. I mean, we all need the oceans. We all enjoy them. Right. So. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny, you know, we, we just celebrated Earth Day, you know, of a couple of months back and then we had World Ocean Day, which is in the early June and, you know, it's really an ocean planet, right? 70% of this planet is covered by water. So we have Earth Day, it should really be Ocean Day. Yeah. And uh, it provides half the oxygen we breathe and uh, regulates the temperature. I mean, the only reason England is, you know, habitable by humans is because the warm ocean currents from the Gulf Stream pump yeah. up that warm water. And so we really, all of us, depending no matter where we live, are relying on the ocean for some element of our lives. Yeah, and then global warming as well, the ice is melting. And so you're, you're really covering everything. So what, what kind of things are you doing? What kind of initiatives? Sure, so we kind of focus on five broad areas of work at Surfrider. Clean water, trying to make sure that the water oceans are clean to recreate in and also for marine life. What we call beach preservation, coastal erosion issues, sea level rise, coastal flooding, uh, plastic pollution is another big issue that's sort of global um, beach access, making sure we have access to our beaches because that's, there's not, that's not always, always the case, mm. you know, and, and what we call ocean protection, which is either proactively trying to establish uh, protection of the ocean through marine protected areas and also sort of reactively or defensively trying to stop bad projects like uh, offshore drilling or, or other things yeah. that could provide harm to the ocean. So five different areas that cumulatively will lead to healthy oceans and coasts. Mm, that's a, wow, that's a broad area. So that's kind of grassroots and also, you know, targeting the legislation, legislator. Um, that's a quite a spectrum yeah, we, of work. Sort of start locally and I can give you an example of it. We tend to work in local communities where our grassroots activists of which there are tens of thousands are like living and they know that the, the the people and the the government systems. And we then try to scale that work up in, in the states to the state level. And then we try to get up to the federal level. So an example would be, you know, plastic pollution is a huge problem in our oceans. These single use plastic items that we use that are so wasteful, the bags and the straws and the lids mm -hmm. and the foam, things we use once and then end up in the ocean for, you know, tens of thousands of years sometimes. Um, so we'll, we'll, for example, work in a community to ban single-use bags. And then we'll replicate that in, you know, we did this in California a decade ago, we'll re replicate that in tens of communities and then hundreds of communities. And then at some point we'll be like, wow, we have half the state under local bag ordinances. Let's pass state legislation. There's momentum for that. And then we'll, you know, right now, I think seven or eight states in the United States have started to have regulations on plastic pollution. And now we have a bill in Congress at the federal level to try to eliminate these single-use plastics. So our sort of method is start at the bottom with the grassroots, uh. scale up to the higher levels over time by building some momentum and inertia for these types of activities. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Because I mean, that's how I first heard of you is through the, the plastic, the campaigning, because it's also something I feel very passionately about. And yeah. Yeah, because I also heard on an, from another, my guests educate me all, all the time. I'm just recycling sure. things I've heard. And, <laughs> and uh, no pun intended, but recycling was, I heard it was invented by the corporations to yes. kind of shift the responsibility saying, you know, really, you guys, we're just making it. So it's your, 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 your should recycle it. 
Yeah. No, it's true. And not only that, you know, recycling is largely a myth. Okay. You know, this is, it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of us I grew up thinking that was like your, mm. your what sort of signature environmental action. Well, I recycle, right. you know, I would go to cocktail parties and say, oh, you work for the Surfrider Foundation. It was like I was the Pope and they needed to confess. They would look at me and say, I recycle, you know, and I'm like, that's great. <laughs> Come into the kitchen. Uh, yeah. But uh, we only recycle about 9% mm. of the plastic produce. 91% ends up in the landfill or in the environment. And, and then a lot of the, the plastic historically was, I don't, you know, I don't know where Europe's plastic goes, but the United States, we would ship our plastic to Asia under this guise that it somehow it would be recycled or there'd be a market for it in Asia. And frankly, most of it wasn't recycled. It's floating Some, back towards you. Yeah. Well, then we turn around and say, well, the plastic's coming from Asia. And it's like, well, that's actually started with us. We're the number one plastic producing country in the world. And uh, so this idea of recycling, you're right. And even now with the increased awareness and pressure, the sort of the big plastic companies, the Nestle's and the Cokes and the Pepsi's of the world are, you know, spending billions on recycling. We can do better. We can recycle it. And the reality is that we should, you know, sure, we should recycle and we should do better and we should close the loop and create what they call the circular economy. But the other reality is there's so much single-use plastic we use that we just don't need to use, you know. Like. Yeah, and the energy to recycle that plastic. When you, I mean, because when a glass bottle breaks in the ocean, it it's sand. It comes... It, it started <laughs> as sand, it goes back to sand, yeah. So why aren't they making... Why aren't they using glass? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about plastic, I guess, that is remarkable, right, is it's kind of this in some ways is this amazing uh, material. It's cheap, it's too mm -hmm. cheap. We can talk about that back to who's responsible. It's tends, it can be flexible, it's lightweight and it's pretty strong. So, you know, the, the glass has the disadvantages of being more fragile, it breaks mm -hmm. uh, and it's heavy, you know? So if we were shipping all this single use plastic bottles of water and glass around the world, that would have a different environmental footprint which would be a carbon footprint you know oh okay but uh but mm. you know we also in many places in the world it comes out of the tap just fine yeah i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> you know you know we have seen a move towards reusable bottles which is great and that's a perfect example you know you think about you know you this this water sits on the shelf in some supermarket in a plastic mm. bottle yeah and you're drinking it then you drink it and then you throw it away and there's a tap somewhere nearby. Not true for everywhere in the world, but you know, with clean water coming yeah. out of it, it's, 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 it's a- And you think they you think they wash out those bottles before they fill them with, with water? You think they're well, pretty- they, Well, not to mention there's that and then the water they're filling with is, you know, they, they try to tell you it's spring water from some, from the Alps, but it, typically it's, you know, coming out of a tap, just like the water in your house. I couldn't believe that in America. Yeah, when I was going there, I had to get the spring water because here we, in Italy, they all drink. They drink from the bottles as well because quite often the tap water tastes of chlorine. But if you work out the cost, you might, you'd be better putting a filter in your house to save yourself. You know, they carry up liters, liters and liters of water every day to their houses. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, no, you're right. Let's let's just uh, we built this distribution system for water around the globe. Let's treat it and and make that drinkable. So yeah, instead of flushing the toilet, flushing away with your drinking water. Yeah, your poop. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, you you were running. Okay. There was there was some legislation. I was listening on a podcast. I think it was from last year where you were talking about it, and there was some big legislation to going through that could change it. What's what's the story with that? Yeah, you know, the the other thing about the plastic is that almost every step of its life cycle, the plastic is polluting. And so, you know, the plastic's a fossil fuel, actually. It's made from, you know, ethane. So we have a bill, a federal bill here in the States called the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act that we, we call it a comprehensive bill because it kind of looks at the, the plastic production for its whole life cycle. So from these ethane cracker plants that they use to produce the plastic sort of base materials, which tend to be in, you know, lower income industrial areas and they have their own polluting impacts. So there's an environmental justice issue with where the plastic gets produced in the first place. There's communities that are being 
sort of unfairly impacted by that. They produce a little product called a nurdle. Oh, I've heard of these. Yeah, yeah. So Mermaid's Tears is another name for them. This is a little plastic pellet that they you you know that they transport around that gets melted and molded into whatever the product is. There was um, one, there was one ship I think off the coast of Sri Lanka or I think it was that just one ship was break had what was on fire was breaking up and all these nurdles were just covering trillions of them are out there. I mean when it's funny even when I was a little kid you know this is in that late seventies early eighties in Laguna Beach we would sit down at the beach and play in the sand and you'd find these little which what I now know are nurdles, but we didn't know what they were. These little kind of like translucent circular things. And we didn't know what they were. We would debate, is that, you know, part of a fish? What, what is this thing? We never thought, and it turns out it was these plastic things, you know, because in LA, I'm sure, or in Southern California, wherever it's industrial, you know, they, they, they're using these things by the millions and then invariably they spill out of whatever they're production facility or transport facility and, you know, wash down the, the storm drains and the rivers to the ocean and, and then they show up on the beaches. And so that's a, that's a product that pollutes, you know, and then whatever single use item they create the bag or the bottle or the foam, you know, those things hopefully end up in the landfill, which, you know, is better presumably than, and in the, on the land or in the, in the ocean. So that with this bill really seeks to sort of regulate the plastic production at the start so we can mm. be less harmful to these communities and less polluting. Eliminate a lot of these single-use plastic items that are just wasteful. We use once and they last forever. And then third, and this is the, I think maybe the most important part, is it, it creates something called extended producer responsibility. Oh, and the okay. idea here is that the plastic producing companies and businesses actually have to be responsible for the end life of the plastic. And you know, the problem right now is it's too cheap. You know, the, a company can make a bag of what you would call crisps or chips and they cost them a cent. You buy that bag at the store, you know, their job is done. They had a cheap and easy way to get that food to you. Then that bag, you know, you throw it away. And you either pay the municipal cost of that, then we landfill it somewhere, or you recycle it and it ends up in uh, in Indonesia, or mm. it ends up on the street and in the ocean, mm. and we pay the societal cost. So we pay for the costs of that cheap bag all the way through the life cycle of it. And uh, you know, if that bag cost a nickel instead of a penny, then maybe the plastic producing you know companies would think more about the use of that product, maybe they'd be more efficient in the packaging, maybe they'd use alternatives. And if nothing else, that fee will help, you know, address some of the problems. So this idea of extending the responsibility to the producer is, is I think, really important. And how is the bill doing? Well, it's slowly but surely gaining some steam. So the game is to get the legislative sponsors. It's tough to get anything done in the United States right now with a pretty divided Congress. But, you know, we're in this for the long haul. It took us six tries to get the first bag ban 10 years ago in California. So we'll be uh, continuing to plug away. I think, you know, we're getting some momentum, which is good. Yeah. I heard you say on another show, it was 70 companies responsible for virtually all the pollution in the world. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's, I, I, you know, I know that's true for the carbon, carbon emission. Was it? Okay. And, but it's, uh, and I don't have the number right off the top of my head, but it's something similar. There's a small number of these large companies that are producing a huge amount of, of plastics in the world. And, and so it's like you mentioned earlier, they have the same playbook, which is let's try to put the responsibility on the individual versus us. Hmm. So this is the recycle or worry about your carbon footprint. And certainly we should all do those things, but that's not the solution. The solution is actually systemic change sort of at the top. Yeah. One of them was Jim Radcliffe, and he owns Ineos, which is a big yep. uh, plastic producer. And he lives on a boat, a very, yeah. very, a very, very big boat. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, he came by here because I had a cycle touring company. So I'd take people guiding, guide people on the bikes for a while. And he has like 20 bikes on the boat or something. And he's he's cycling around, you know, he's a big cyclist. He sponsors now a Tour de France, a world tour team. And so he wanted, he was cycling up all the mountains around the world, you know, 
well he's, he's yeah. doing it he's probably working hard on the boat but so so his his whole business is just making this plastic and he lives on a boat yeah you know? and it's just these one it's, or two guys you know it's not it's just mm-hmm. it's 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 probably you don't know this but i've been interviewing some other people i, I watched the, the documentary the corporation and i was yep. so i was so enthused with that and, and you realize how all these corporations are responsible for for all, all the damage you know the, yeah they're just they're, tr- they're trying to get to zero cost like you exactly like you're saying you know yeah, you know, and I think that's right. I mean, that you know, it's hard because a corporation doesn't have morals, right? It's their their goal is to uh, maximize profit, and mm-hmm. they they build a machine, and that machine is driven for for this. And you know, in some ways, that's the system, right? That's what it's right. designed to do, and it has benefits. We all have iPhones or whatever it is we're talking on the internet, but that's why we need the the other side of it, which is this balance with these regulations that are going to look out for the general public and, you know, the, the, the future. And, you know, our, our philosophy is like that, you know, those, those, those corporations, they tend to have, they have the money. Mm-hmm. And so their, their political influence is through dollars in lobbying, which mm. is, they have a lot of, but we actually have the numbers, right? We actually, we have the people, you know, there's, there's very few people are going to show up at a city council meeting or to, at a congressional hearing to defend the single-use water bottle, <laughs> you know, other yeah. than the guys who are making a lot of money. And so, you know, our, our sort of fundamental belief is that we need people to get engaged in civic action at the local, right. state, federal level, because if everyone who went to the beach and saw plastic on the beach or in the ocean they didn't want to see it got involved, like, we actually have the advantage in a democracy, which is that we can vote our way out of these problems and force the guys like that to be responsible for the mm. for the problems that their company is creating which they should be and yeah. probably if you ask them they would say sure but we're following the rules and we're like all right well let's make the rules more strict yeah and he's, he'd probably say you guys buy it you know you buy it in yeah. the supermarket you have the choice you know yeah yeah and you know people avoid them too and i you know there's it's funny because there's something, I don't know if you've heard this term, the purity test. This happens anytime we talk about global warming. They say, oh, well, yeah, you want to, you know, you want to reduce plastic or you want to, you know, get, get rid of emissions, but you drive a car, you own a surfboard made of, you know, sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your, your surfboard's plastic. <laughs> yeah, plastic, it, it's made of, you know, like polystyrene foam and mm. all these things. So how dare you talk about this? And, you know, the purity test is this idea that you can't have a political opinion unless you're perfect because otherwise you're a hypocrite. And, you know, it's just, it, therefore, since nobody's perfect, nobody can have an opinion and we can't change anything. So if you play out the the purity test to its logical conclusion, it, it doesn't make any sense because then no one can say anything. So you can live in a, you can be imperfect and live in, yeah. a per, in an imperfect world and still strive for, for change. I mean, all of us use plastic in our lives. It's yeah. impossible to get yeah. rid of it. You know, there are, some people out there really work hard to minimize it the super devoted people and they're showing us what's possible but you know wouldn't it be better if when you walked into the market instead of a shelf lined with products wrapped in plastic which is pretty much every single thing in the market you walked into a market that was full of glass and there was containers to use i mean you know until that system is changed the individual choice is going to be really hard to get us there yeah. No matter how diligent you are or committed you are as an as an individual. One thing I've noticed in, noticed in Italy with the single use plastic is uh, with COVID, they're really going up. I mean, uh, are you seeing masks catching on your surfboard? Oh yeah, uh, the COVID was a plastic disaster. Right. And understandably, right, particularly in the beginning when there was so much concern about surfaces and we just didn't know and everyone understandably was afraid of this thing. I mean, I know Italy was hit really hard. And, you know, so we saw, and restaurants closed. So we saw takeout, mm-hmm. which which always, when you finish takeout meal, you have a mound of plastic on your on your in your kitchen or on your table. And then we saw the masks and the gloves, you know, and all of these different sort of pe- the wipes from the right yeah yeah the ppe stuff just everywhere so the combination of all those things the other thing that happened which was kind of an interesting bright spot is i I wonder if this you saw this too is given the 
the people, the flexibility, you know, the fact that not every, some people lost their jobs, which was too bad. People flocked to the beaches. We're seeing doubling in the number of beach use in, in the United States. But, but Laguna, in the number of surfers. Laguna was closed for a long time, though. I saw on, online. Yeah, a lot of places. What happened, it was an interesting cycle. So COVID hit, you know, whatever, 16 months ago. Society shut down. And and then, then that first six-week period, people, you know, restaurants, museums, everything mm. shut down. So shut people down. actually flocked to the beaches it was something to fresh do with air, some yeah. fresh air and so then the beaches became overrun and so then that you know like my town and towns up and down the coast all over the country they shut the beaches down because the beaches were getting too crowded because there was fear that people would be too close to each other and we actually did a lot of work last spring and summer with uh, we worked with public health experts and some some beach access sort of legal experts and uh, to develop some plans to help communities and states open their beaches back up because, you know, as the science was evolving, we were learning that, you know, fresh air is better. And if you're reasonably spaced outside, it's actually safe. So we worked pretty hard to get beaches back open. But but that combination of more beach use, more takeout, mm. more PE has just led to, you know, we're starting to, and then they suspended a lot of the, the rules. Like in California, you, we had single, you, you know, you couldn't, hand out single use bags at the grocery store, or there was a fee associated with them. And those were all waived because they didn't want you bringing in your uh, own bag for fear of contamination too, or you, know, you can't go to the coffee shop and uh, no. use your reusable mug. No. So, so uh. that stuff's all, that's all kind of, kind of come back, but yeah, it was a real setback. You still you, see the masks everywhere. Your work touches so many areas. I never realized before it's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was a, you know, that I, I don't think any of us were expecting the COVID pandemic, nor did we anticipate this sort of setback to our plastic pollution work, but it was an eye opener. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of ironic because here in Italy, we had the lockdown, we weren't allowed to go outside to exercise. And, you know, they were applauding for people staying on their on their couches, but the people that were hardest hit, you know, diabetics, overweight, so they weren't able to weren't allowed to go outside to exercise. So it was really crazy time. So. Yeah. It really, it really is. I mean, and if anything, I, you know, I think it, it, it revealed that we, we need to create more open spaces in our society and make those more accessible to more people so that there is ways to get, to get out, yeah. you know, pandemic or not. Yeah. <laughs> Surfing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely try it. I mean, I live so close to the beach, but I don't go very often. And, and no, when I was speaking to you, I was, I was on the lookout. I go, I was walking and I seen the... I see the plastic pollution and one of the worst things is that the fishermen they take these polystyrene polyp you know the big white for keeping things cool the fish cool and those things break cooler. we call it a cooler oh okay they're the disposable ones though the yeah and they yep. they're made of white balls and mm -hmm. they break up into a one of those will cover a beach you know one this size oh yeah and you could spend your lifetime just picking up one square meter of sand with all the little pieces yeah. of foam yeah i know that's a that's another example of this it's what i think of as a fundamental design flaw yeah. you know those coolers are they break anyway yeah they never last and so like they're they're you know even from the user perspective they're a bad product and uh, and then you know they break down and those little balls will last you know forever in the ocean but to it's take terrible. to take them on a boat when you're a fisherman and wow. you know you're gonna fish are gonna eat them and then when you cut open the fish They'll You're be in there. Pick, they'll be. <laughs> I know. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, A, a reusable plastic cooler. That's a good use of plastic, right? If mm. you have a, a plastic cooler that lasts you for your lifetime. Yeah. You know, that's that that's plastic being used in a wise way. One right. cooler, you can pass it down to your kids. It'll last and last and last is one alternative. And then Igloo, which is a big cooler company here in the States, they actually just invented a really good disposable uh, cooler that's made for wood pulp and like paper pulp and wax paraffin. Oh, wow. And it's totally biodegradable in the natural environment and it'll last a week, you know, with mm. water in it. And so it's a great solution to those horrific foam yeah. coolers. And people will pay more for this, you know, so maybe the company's yeah. just, you know, the companies are not going to stop making money. They're going to keep, they're so efficient. If they're, they're not, this legis no, no legislation like this is going to 
going to hurt them. They'll just, they could end up actually making more money, you know, as, as you pay yeah, more. Yeah, these things I think are, you know, eight bucks instead of four bucks, but still. Right. You, but, you know, it's still a, it's a viable alternative if you show up somewhere for a holiday and you don't mm. have a cooler and you want to keep your drinks cold or your fish fresh, mm. you know, then, then there's, a, there's an alternative. But also, I always buy, try and look for the BPA free as well because I'm a cyclist and I buy those. But they still taste after a while, and you you wonder how it if, you know affects your fertility as well because all this plastic is seeping into our bodies. And yeah, it's I think the that health effects are not super well understood yet. But yeah, I mean the phthalates and the other things they put in plastics to make them soft and flexible are not good and. You know, the fact that you can taste it tells you something's going on. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of nasty all around. And, you know, that's why the it's interesting. I, I actually just got a stainless steel water bottle. For, I'm a mountain biker. Also, I, I just got a stainless steel sort of cycling water bottle instead of the plastic one. And it works great. Yeah. It doesn't have that bad taste in it. No, and it's it's a, got a straw in it that's silicon, which is better. You know, you can't squeeze it, right? Which is what you do, mm-hmm. but it just, they designed it so that it pours out. It's great. Right, right. Yeah, I guess this these, is kind of carrot and the stick, you know, that we all know the pollution's bad, you know, but if, you, if it starts to affect my health, then I start to worry a lot more, you know, because... Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the BPA thing is interesting. It, uh, we were, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, we were, we were working with one of the sort of plastic reusable water bottle companies to, as an alternative, right? That it's again, plastic, but lasts forever and you can use it. And they had BPA in it. And we were arguing, you know, at the time, is this good? Is this bad? There's the jury sort of out, the science wasn't clear. And at least in the United States, it was basically a bunch of moms who were buying bottles for their kids for school who just used their consumer power for good and said, we're not going to buy that. I'm not going to risk it. And, you know, these companies got rid of the BPA like that. As soon as the the, the power of the moms who were like, I'm not going to purchase that for my child. It's so, isn't it ironic. Like, settled. <laughs> it's ironic with our consumers to say, we, 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 pay, we pay more for less. You know, this is take out this, I'll pay more. Take out this, I'll pay more. Take, you know, gluten-free. Right. The, the preservative-free, I'll pay... I, the advertising is that is they're putting less in it's, it's yeah. we're, we're completely insane <laughs> this, this society is you know uh, yeah well i think you know we're we're slowly but surely reverse engineering from a sort of engineered chemical lifestyle to a more getting back to a more natural lifestyle right we yeah. we pay for more for food that doesn't contain poison like insecticides and pesticides and organic food mm-hmm. and you know and so we're i feel like slowly but surely we're we're climbing out of a time where i think we were you know naively thought all these chemicals were were the solution and didn't come with problems no no i guess all the the images help help of all these the, the big plastic in this it forms in the middle of the oceans it's not like on the beaches is is a small part no unless you're in a certain That's- island that you see but h- how much how big are these how much plastic is there out there? Well, you know, it's funny. This uh, this idea of the island of plastic in the middle of the sea is also a bit of a myth. Um, you can't actually see it from space or walk on it. It's just an area of higher concentration. So the ocean has five gyres. So these are these big spinning global currents. And so, for example, I mean, you're in the Mediterranean, but, you know, there's a current that comes across the equator from Africa, hits the Caribbean, goes up along Florida, they call it the Gulf Stream, you know, eventually points up towards England and eventually curves down the European coastline to Africa and back out. So there's a big, they call that the North Atlantic Gyre and it's big circular okay. uh, uh, clockwise rotation. And there's one in the Southern Hemisphere that goes in the opposite direction that comes up the coast of Africa, hits the equator, goes across and then comes down the coast of South America. And the same is true in the Pacific. There's a North Pacific Gyre and a South Pacific gyre. And so those things are swirling. And so if you, you know, if I throw a bottle in the ocean, conceivably it could go all the way to Japan. Wow. And if some pan, like the tsunami debris from the big uh, tsunami and earthquakes, that debris actually landed in 
Alaska and in the Pacific Northwest in Canada and Oregon or Washington. But so those cycles are taking the plastic almost like a toilet and spinning it around or your drain in your sink and concentrating it in the middle. That's why you see this, this idea of this island. But you, if you sailed to the middle of the, you know, North Atlantic, you wouldn't see it. You would just start to see more pieces around. So the mm. concentrations have increased, but, but yeah, I think one of the reasons that, the this plastic pollution issue has become so apparent because it's visible, right? You deal with it every day in your life. You see it on the sides of the road. You see it at, in the ocean. I mean, every single time I go surfing, I can pull a piece of plastic out of the sea. So we have our work to do. Yeah. Well, it's just, thank God we have people like you who are, I, I, <laughs> is there a competition yeah. for world's coolest CEO? Are you like, is there a... <laughs> You know, it's funny. I also, I, I, I think the plastic pollution issue, and at least in my experience, has come on quickly, and people are motivated to make yeah. change. And there's where change happen in the United States, and certainly in Europe, who were arguably ahead of us. And uh, and so it, it is gratifying to see some some action taking place. It's a big problem, just like climate change is. But you know, I feel like there's progress being made, and that's mm. kind of certainly what keeps me going yeah well so how how can people what should people do listening to this podcast so if you you know surfrider we're we have surfrider europe surfrider based in biarritz but they're the u.s senegal which is a new surfrider affiliate australia japan and argentina so if you're in any of those places you can go to surfrider.org okay. our website and get involved with some of our grassroots activities you know, you can, and then you can, you can make these daily choices to get rid of these single use plastics in your life, which will help at the end of the day. Stop buying that water bottle and get a reusable bottle and coffee mug and avoid the straw and all of that. Use a bag. And then you can get involved with advocating for plastic reduction laws and regulations, which are taking place all over the world. Hmm. So when I travel, I'll go to, you know, I'll go to, you know, Chile or New Zealand or somewhere to go surf and you'll see that they're also, you know, handing out reusable bags. And so the world's changing. So people can get involved in creating that change no matter where they live. Okay, great. And they can also, do you have a membership scheme or they can donate on the website or? Yeah, they can donate to us if they're domestic, they can join as a member or in Europe Okay, as well. If they go to surfrider.org, they can find ways to get active or they can find ways to support us financially. We're, you know, we're a nonprofit charity. Right. So we, we survive on donations. So those always help. Wow. Brilliant. Oh, this has been, this has been great. Thanks, Chad. What, anything else you want to cover? No, I, I, I mean, we, we covered a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess I, I, I do, I think it's a heavy topic and there's a lot of problems out there, mm. but I also think that I'm an optimist at heart. And I think anyone who's in the uh, business of creating social or environmental change, it has to be an optimist because mm. you, the only reason you're doing this work is because you, you think we can get to a better place. And, you know, so I think these topics can be a little heavy and depressing, but I, I, I encourage people to stay hopeful because we are making change. And, and I think that's, pretty encouraging and I'm convinced we're going to get there. How, how did you join the organization? What, what How did you first come into contact? You know, I, I grew up on the, as we said in the start, yeah. you know, I grew up on the beaches in Laguna Beach and I felt like the ocean just gave me so much, you know, and it's sort of twofold. I wanted to find a career that I could sort of think and be part of and engage in the ocean in my life. So I was motivated by that. And, you know, I volunteered at Surfrider you know, in high school and in, 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 as a grad student and was like, wow, this is a great organization where, where people can make a difference. And I, I, I love the sort of attitude and the approach. And so I was an intern here and then, you know, got lucky enough almost 20 years ago, I've been here for a long time to, to land a job. And I've been sort of chugging away ever since and eventually, you know, made it up to the top. Yeah. I heard what, your story about you were a lifeguard one time and there was a, they dumped some yellow paint <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, why, yeah, horrifying. I, I can tell that story pretty quickly. I was, you know, a teenager. I was lifeguarding down at a beautiful, pristine cove in Laguna Beach, white sand, blue water. It was the middle of the day on a summer day, so the beach wasn't very crowded. And I watched this front loader, you know, with the two thing in the front up in the air, driving 
down the beach, which, you know, they're not allowed to do for one thing. And so I'm looking at this thing, it's a hundred yards or so down the beach. And I'm like, what is that guy doing? And he's sort of driving it straight to the ocean. And I'm like, I couldn't imagine what he was going to do. Like, why is he driving? A, he shouldn't be on the beach. Why is he driving towards the ocean? And he gets right to the edge of the, of the water. And he just dumps the thing and it was full of yellow paint. And it comes, I don't know how many, you know, gallons of paint and it just floods down onto the beach and creates this big yellow plume in the ocean and he kind of shakes it around in the sand and he drives off and I just was like mind blown and it turns out that they're painting those yellow lines on the streets. They were repaving, resurfacing the streets and they were painting the yellow lines on the streets so presumably they finished up the lines and this was all the excess paint and they thought what where do we, uh, what do we do with this? Well, let's just dump it in the ocean, which is kind of an unimaginable, you know, historically, I think that was, <laughs> oh, in the ocean, it's so vast. We'll just, it'll just mm. absorb whatever we throw at it. But yeah. that was one of those, like, uh, that's wrong. Mm. Why is that happening? One of the things that sort of motivated me to get involved in this work. Yeah, maybe that was a small sacrifice for the ocean that it that you have changed your life course and yeah, maybe I've, I've tried to make up for that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh, did you catch him? No, you know, I was like a young teenager. I watched the whole thing happen. I wasn't sure what to do. I, I think I might've called, you can call, you know, pick up the phone and call the main desk and, you know, they said, okay, we'll put in a call or deal with it. And, you know, I don't know. Mm. I, I never actually heard the different, any outcome. So I don't know, mm. you know, today, this, today's world, I could have taken a video of it. And I think yeah, that would have yeah. been a game changer. And it was just, you know, me, you know, and I don't know if it was a contractor or municipal guy, mm. but I, I'm. I don't think anything came of it. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. did you came of it? So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It motivated me for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Chad. This has been great. I'll, I'll get to work on a song. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I look forward to hearing it. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks very much. Take care. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Take care. Say there's no reversal, it's only gonna get worse, so you better
devil's rise Keep your eggs and your sperm held high Don't use an oil-based lube Put him in a glass test tube As you wait until the plastic sink And in 10,000 years time When they dig down to the plastic line We got what we deserve But at least we are preserved Perfectly in the plastic sea Perfectly in the plastic sea Forever in the plastic sea enjoyed that please go to surfrider.org and make a donation you don't have to own a surfboard to support surfrider foundation the song will be available on spotify itunes and deezer in a couple of weeks then you can share it there as well please share this episode with everyone who you think might enjoy it and a big thanks to my musicians mauricio sanicola massimino vozza and Luigi Falcioni and my researcher Dori Verbo for making this episode possible. See you next time.